take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville All right, good day Tokers and tokets and non-toking Lovers of Liberty, it is Tuesday July 19, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us. Coming to you live from beautiful legal potland, Oregon, at the top of the Ardea Tower on the south waterfront, overlooking the Willamette River, and looking straight out at Mount Hood. Great time to have you here on the show. We are fully surfing the wave of legalization as it moves from the west and the northeast all across this great country of ours. And we'll be here bringing you all the latest news, the latest poll results, and, of course, the latest election results. That's coming up on our Marijuana Election Night 2016 coverage. It'll be my fifth election bringing you coverage of the marijuana ballots that are happening all across the country and this year we may have as many as nine or ten states to report on and we'll have live reporters from each of those states bringing you the latest news so keep up with us here on cannabisradio.com and look forward this november to marijuana election night 2016 you'll hear it first right here on cannabis radio On today's show, we've got a special extended radical rant for you today. I'm going to take two segments to take a look at the latest arguments against legalizing marijuana. You know, we've got marijuana legalization hitting the ballot in California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. And in all of those states, the opponents of marijuana legalization are submitting their ballot arguments against the con arguments that you get in the uh, election folder. And today I'm taking a look at the state of Arizona, where they've recently had 12 or 13 different opposition arguments that have turned. Uh, been turned in. Uh, I'm uh, tearing these apart for a future article in High Times, and I thought I would share with you some of the latest thinking from the opponents of marijuana legalization. There's some half-truths, there's some obfuscations, and there's some outright lies. We'll cover all that for you coming up in a double radical rant on today's show. Also coming up on the show, we'll have time for some drug war data mining. And in the data mines today, we find some information on the energy consumption of the legitimate marijuana industry and why we still haven't gone far enough and we need to do more legalization in more places if we really want to make marijuana an environmentally conscious industry. So we'll talk about that in drug war data mining. That comes right after our cannabis focus segment. We'll look behind the headlines on California's Emerald Triangle and how the first two large-scale growing licenses have just been issued there. There is a reaction, of course, from the uh, the Humboldt growing community, and we'll talk, talk all about the controversy that's going on there. But before that, we'd start with the cannabis radio news. And in the headlines today, we've got a look at that initiative in Arizona and how the opponents are trying a last-ditch Hail Mary pass to try to stop it. We take a look at Juneau, Alaska, where they're continuing to work on the regulations for marijuana cafes, pot lounges, whatever you want to call them. We've got some updates on that for you. We take a look at North Dakota, where the opponents of medical marijuana there are trying to scare the voters about a medical marijuana initiative that's been 
proposed. And we take a look at the central California city of Coalinga, which uh, has sold its prison to turn it into a marijuana grow. That's one of the best uh, kind of stories we could tell you. Also, stay tuned for Hour 2 Toker Talk Radio. Lots of interesting stories for us to cover in TTR today, including a near-fatal K2 overdose in Washington State. <laughs> Arkansas has raised some money for its marijuana push, and we'll also look at the Arizona fundraising. We've got a delay on the DEA and marijuana rescheduling and an estimate for how much marijuana legalization could reap the nation of New Zealand. That's all coming up in the next two hours here live on CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Russ from Portland. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com the next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old mountain smells. And it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on... On CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. World, world, world. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, July 19th, 2016. Phoenix, Arizona. Arizona. 
A Maricopa County judge has given lawyers defending an initiative that would legalize recreational marijuana in Arizona several weeks to prepare their case. Judge Joe Lynn Gentry on Tuesday said she'll hear arguments on the case filed by 13 individuals and groups, including Maricopa County Attorney Bill Montgomery and Yavapai County Attorney Sheila Polk, on August 12th. They're trying to get the court to block the initiative from the November ballot. That gives backers of the initiative time to rebut arguments that the 100-word explanation on petition sheets doesn't fully explain the effects of the proposed legalization and that it doesn't contain a legal funding mechanism. Polk says the challenge is about the integrity of the initiative process and that backers of the initiative didn't follow the rules. The attorney for the backers of the initiative says the opponents have a weak case at best. Corey Langhofer says they're just trying a Hail Mary pass to keep the initiative off the November ballot. State election officials still are verifying whether the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol submitted the 150,000 valid signatures needed to qualify for the ballot. Juneau, Alaska. Alaska marijuana regulators aren't ready to buy into Amsterdam-style cannabis cafes just yet and are going back to the public for more feedback. The Marijuana Control Board considered a draft regulation that would have allowed cannabis shops to sell product for on-site use only, like a bar would sell alcohol. However, after a member raised concerns, the board is now looking at a narrower plan that would allow people to buy marijuana products in an authorized store and go into a separate area to partake. They would be allowed to take resealed, unused portions home with them. Board member Mark Springer said the initial discussion over on-site use had gone from providing a place for tourists off of cruise ships to buy and use legal marijuana toward allowing for marijuana bars. Erica McConnell, Anchorage's marijuana coordinator, said the concept of a marijuana bar would encourage consumption outside of the home, increasing the likelihood of public intoxication and impaired driving. Bismarck, North Dakota. It would cost North Dakota's health department more than $3.5 million a year and a small army of workers to regulate medical marijuana if the issue appears on the November ballot and voters approve it, according to an analysis by the agency. Supporters of the so-called North Dakota Compassion Care Act turned in 17,600 signatures Monday. Backers must have 13,500 qualified signatures to put it to a statewide vote in the November 8 general election. Secretary of State Al Jager has about one month to decide whether the petitions are sufficient. With voters' approval, the initiative would make it legal for North Dakota residents who suffer from one of several debilitating illnesses to use marijuana with a doctor's permission and possess up to three ounces of marijuana for medical purposes from either a state-licensed dispensary or a personally grown supply. Riley Ray Morgan, a Fargo financial planner who is heading the effort to legalize marijuana for medicinal purposes, called the estimates, quote, overblown, end quote, and an attempt to derail the effort in a budget challenge state, a charge the agency denies. Coalinga, California. The central California city of Coalinga has sold its empty prison to a marijuana company that will grow and process cannabis there. The abandoned Claremont Custody Center was sold to ocean-grown extracts for $4.1 million by the city, which had been struggling under almost $3.3 to $3.8 million in debt. The sale puts the city's budget back into the black and was approved by the city council in a 4-to-1 vote. 
Residents who once resisted marijuana operations in their area have come around thanks to some education about the nature of marijuana businesses, the adoption by California legislators of a statewide regulatory system, and the promise of up to 100 new jobs for the area. Referring to the prison-turned-pot farm, Coalinga Mayor Pro Tem Patrick Keogh told the Fresno Bee, quote, It's like what the Grateful Dead said, what a long, strange trip it's been, end quote. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, July 19, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I opted for convenience to use my personal email account. Okay, maybe you're high too. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at a story in the Eureka Times Standard about the issuance of the first two cannabis farming licenses in Humboldt County, California, the center of the famed Emerald Triangle, where a great majority of American cannabis is grown. So this marks a, a new point in Humboldt County in the in the uh, Emerald Triangle area. The two farms are a quarter acre mixed light farm in Carlotta and a seven acre outdoor farm and processing center in Honeydew. Uh, there are about 100 more prospective medical marijuana business owners submitting applications in the county. The senior planner there, uh, Steve Lazar, expects hundreds more in the coming months. He says this is just the first end of a big wave that's about to crest. Now these, uh, these larger grow sites were approved in January and take effect uh, in late February. And uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the medical marijuana regulations took effect in January 
and took uh, or approved in January, took effect in late February. And uh, Humboldt County has been beginning this process of how they're going to license these uh, medical marijuana farms. This comes un- under the uh, MAMERSA or the Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act. And under that act, someone who wants to grow has to have both a state and a local license. So these two uh, growers, one of them's named uh, Alex Moore. He and his wife, Miranda, own this Honeydew Farms uh, LLC that's going to have the uh, seven-acre grow. They've just been cultivating an acre so far, and now he's going to expand by another six acres. This has caused a little bit of uh, controversy, though, in Humboldt County, as some people there believe this is the beginning of the end of the small craft cultivator in Humboldt County. It was a four-to-one vote among the commissioners. But uh, there's some people that just are, are not too happy about this. One group was the Humboldt Mendocino Marijuana Advocacy Project, HUMAP, and their spokesperson, Robert Sutherland, said, quote, the county is catering to the greed heads. Instead, we need to focus on an industry that continues to honor its reputation for quality. People will buy based on their knowledge that it's coming from a hands-on, very conscientious and responsible handler, end quote. And I just wanted to make a, a, a comment about this. Um, I understand how we in the cannabis movement want to ensure that the small-scale grower and craft cannabis and finely grown uh, cannabis maintains uh, its family feel, its non-corporate feel. I understand that that want. But as a ca- cannabis consumer, I'm against any sort of protectionism or regulation that is going to drastically increase the price of marijuana the idea that we're going to take the most fertile growing area in the united states and have it continue to only be cultivated by small-scale growers uh just doesn't wash for me that sounds to me like creating far more overhead than is necessary and failing to take advantage of some economies of scale that will allow for the lower cost production of cannabis the other thing I'd like to comment about this is while, sure, there are plenty of good old boy family growers, longtime third generation hippie types up in the uh, Emerald Triangle that are doing good work and providing great cannabis, there are others that are – they're just cutting corners. That There are others that are polluting streams, diverting water, that are giving us a, a, a bad image amongst the people we're trying to convince legalization needs to happen. In so much as licensing and regulation is going to put an end to that, is going to make the growers more environmentally conscious uh, to obey water rights and so forth, the more that comes along, the better. But I don't think that needs to be restricted to just small-scale growers in order for that to happen. What I'd like to see happen is a, is a decent mix, a decent mix of a few large-scale grows, maybe a dozen, two dozen of those, and then hundreds and hundreds of smaller scale grows. I think the model we could look at would be somewhat like the alcohol model. Not to that extent. I don't think we need to have a Budweiser level or Coors level or, or Miller level uh, producer. And in fact, I don't think we can until marijuana is legalized from coast to coast. It can't happen on a state-by-state basis. I would like to see the, the largest growers be state-level growers and to see the majority of growers be the small level, kind of like what we see in the, in the uh, beer industry now where we have so many local micro brews 
at craft brewers that are starting to, to pop up, even in the face of these massive Miller Budweiser type uh, organizations with their huge advertising dollars. I think we can have an even better ratio of small growers to large growers or small producers to large producers compared to the beer industry. So I'm really not afraid of this idea of larger scale growers coming into uh, Humboldt County. But we shall see how this pans out and we'll keep you focused on it. Sorry, ass motherfucker got nothing on me, right? I tell you, these last few uh, weeks, President Obama's just letting it all hang out, ain't he? (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed that Republican convention last night. I watched some of that. I got to tell you, I think I sat through the longest Miss Universe question and answer period ever last night. Slightly better than Miss South Carolina Melania. Slightly better. (laughs) Be back in just a couple minutes. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're going to find really wonderful, well-meaning, well-spoken people. And then people... That are just batshit crazy. Okay, maybe you're high too. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. 
Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at the figures for energy consumption from the marijuana industry, and we have to face a kind of uncomfortable, or shall I say, an inconvenient truth. And the fact is, legalizing marijuana may actually be worse for the environment than marijuana prohibition. In some ways, and, and part of the reason for this is how we've gone about legalizing marijuana. In a completely prohibition world, of course, we have a lot of people that are growing marijuana indoors, but we also have a lot of marijuana that's grown outdoors in illegal grows, uh, in national forests and such. And uh, those, of course, are grown under the sun and not using our electrical grid. As marijuana becomes more legalized, fewer consumers want that outdoor Mexican-type brickweed and more want the indoor hydroponically grown legal weed to the point where we could actually be driving more of our cultivation indoors through marijuana legalization than prohibition did. Now, part of the problem in this respect has to do with, again, the laws and how they've been implemented. Like in Colorado, that is requiring all of its marijuana to be grown indoors. Despite the fact that you could grow quite a bit of marijuana outdoors, especially in those eastern plains of Colorado, uh, east of the Rocky Mountains, on the way towards Kansas. And we also see this uh, somewhat in the other states so far that have passed marijuana legalization and come up with limitations on how large outdoor grows can be or regulations that make it difficult to do greenhouse grows. It's incumbent on the regulators and the voters to start to understand that this need or this want to have marijuana grown indoors for the security purposes uh, of it and for the morality purposes of not seeing big fields of, of legal cannabis being grown is coming at the cost of our environment, coming at the cost of waste within our electrical grid. Here's some facts for you. This comes from the Northwest Power and Conservation Council. They, uh, they do the energy planning for the Columbia River Basin. That's uh, uh, Oregon and Washington, Montana and Idaho, basically your northwest corner of America. And they say indoor marijuana cultivation generates $6 billion in energy costs annually. $6 billion. Growing marijuana indoors consumes 5,000 kilowatt hours of electricity per kilogram of output. That's five megawatts. It costs five megawatts of electricity to make a kilogram of pot. For comparison's sake, you want to make a kilogram of aluminum? It takes 16 kilowatt hours. 5,000 for, for a kilo of pot, 16 for a kilo of aluminum. Or for my British listeners, aluminum. In Colorado... The legal marijuana business has made a billion dollars in sale. That's up 42% from the previous year. And, of course, indoor cultivation requires the electricity for the lights, the air exchanges, the ventilation, uh, keeping consistent temperature and humidity levels. And so now the state, you can't even get warehouse space in Denver anymore. It's all taken up by indoor grows. The experts there estimate that a 5,000-square-foot indoor marijuana facility in Colorado consumes six times more electricity per square foot than the average commercial business and 49 times more electricity per square foot than the average residence. Electricity use in Denver 
is rising by 1.2% a year, and marijuana farms account for almost half of that increase. Now, this flies in the fact it flies in the face of Colorado that has made a commitment to get 30% of electricity, 30% of its electricity from renewable sources. Currently, that's only at 18%, and it's going to be harder to get to that level as commercial marijuana grows, forced to remain inside, continue to use up all that electricity. So we need to make sure that the regulators, like I said, understand that this is untenable. We cannot continue generating all of our commercial cannabis through indoor grows. We need to start licensing in Colorado these greenhouse operations and to start considering outdoor grows. And I understand the fear of the outdoor grow having to have all the security requirements, but really I think it comes down to these people not wanting there to be the visual of legal marijuana fields. I don't think they want that sort of uh, condoning or, so, or, or symbolism to be associated with Colorado. But if they do not move in this direction, they will continue to put such a strain on the electrical grid that it will be, begin to become an issue, especially as electricity costs will begin to rise. The other states looking to legalize, especially California, would be keen to get the licensing for their outdoor farms taken care of. California has already started with a five-year moratorium on large-scale outdoor grows. This is a kind of a protectionist move for the uh, small-scale growers in California that want to make sure that they can still be competitive. But every year that they delay allowing large-scale outdoor grows larger than an acre to begin, the more those energy costs are beginning are going to add up. Let's get marijuana legalized across the nation. Let's normalize these large-scale outdoor grows. Now, that's not to say we won't have any indoor grows. There will still be indoor hydroponic, cridlionic, prisonic super growers in there that are going to make the super boutique bud. But that shouldn't be the majority of what's being sold, especially to the newbies. They can't appreciate it. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. 
Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of an ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Well, today in the Radical Rant, we're going to take a good long look at the arguments against marijuana legalization initiatives in this country. As you know, we've got initiatives likely to be on the ballot in all five of the states we've been going for, California, Nevada, Massachusetts, Maine, and Arizona. California, Nevada, and Maine are already on the ballot. They're still counting the uh, signatures in Arizona and Massachusetts, but they turned in well over the number they needed and will likely be on the ballot. In every one of these states, what you're going to find is a a ballot uh, that contains both pro- and con arguments for the initiatives that are on the ballot. It's a standard thing you see. And of course, there will be arguments against marijuana legalization from the usual suspects, the sheriffs, the rehabbers, and so forth. And today, I took a look at what had been published at the Arizona Secretary of State site. Uh, both the pro and con arguments. Ray Stern out there at the uh, Phoenix New Times uh, had kind of a link to it and I got to reading these and uh, decided it's going to be my article for Friday in High Times mag- uh, HighTimes.com, I should say. So I've, I've been going through these points, and there's, there's a lot of redundancy here, but uh, all of the greatest hits are in these. And I'll just go through some of them here, no particular order, just to give you an idea of what you're going to hear. And it's not just uh, – while these are coming from Arizona, you're going to hear the same damn talking points in the other states. So – this is just kind of a rundown of it to give you the uh, ammunition you need to fight back. So let's start with the uh, statement from Seth, Seth, I should say, Seth Liebson. Uh, Liebson? Seth Liebson. He's the chairman of Not My Kid and the chairman of Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy. And part of his complaint is that there is no doubt. This is his quote, by the way. All, everything I'm saying here is quotes from these people. There is no doubt that youth use will increase with legalization. In Colorado, youth use of marijuana is now 74% higher than the national average. 
And that's a, that's a pretty accurate like stat. Like I don't mean accurate, like true. I mean to the point that they're getting it down to seventy four. They're not saying three quarters. They're not saying more than seventy percent. They're saying you know three seventy four percent. And this came up in at least six or seven or eight of the other uh, arguments against legalization. Seventy four percent higher than the national average. I thought that sounded odd. Because I was pretty sure I've seen over the last three, four, five different federal surveys and state surveys that the uh, marijuana use hadn't gone up among the teenagers. In fact, here's a story from Reuters. Teen marijuana use in Colorado found lower than national average. Well, that's odd. Mr. Liebson just said it was higher than national average. It was 74% higher than the national average. What could this be? Well, according to Reuters, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment showed the percentage of high school students indulging in marijuana in Colorado was smaller than the national average among teens. According to the department, 21.2% of Colorado high school students surveyed in 2015 had used marijuana during the preceding 30 days, down from 22% in 2011, the year before voters Statewide approved recreational cannabis use by adults 21 and older. Nationwide, the rate of pot use by teens is slightly higher at 21.7%. So Colorado had a slight decrease in teen use on a monthly basis and is slightly lower than the national average on teen monthly use. This is according to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. This isn't High Times reporting it to you. (laughs) This isn't normal reporting it to you. The other thing they say is Colorado ranks first in the nation for marijuana use by youth between the ages of 12 and 17. Not quite true, but Colorado, I will admit, is in the top four or five states, no matter what year you take a look at it, in teen marijuana use both before legalization and after legalization. So to say Colorado has the highest teen marijuana use in the nation could be half true, depending on which year you're talking about. If you say it's in the top five, it's definitely true. But it doesn't matter what year you're talking about. Neither before or after legalization, we see a difference in the use of marijuana by youth in Colorado. It's always been a state with a lot of, of youth marijuana use. Another uh, opponent to marijuana legalization in Arizona is the Yavapai County attorney, Sheila Polk. She's the chair of Matt Force. I say it like that because it's in all caps, Matt Force, which is, um, I don't know what it stands for. It stands for We Bust People with Weed. And she's the vice chair of Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy. And she says, Again, she says, teens in Colorado now use marijuana at the highest rate in the nation, 74% higher than the national average, despite the fact Reuters said, no, they do not use it at higher than the national average. But they're going to hammer away at that. They they found that 74% stat somewhere, probably from the Rocky Mountain high-intensity drug trafficking folks, and they're just going to stick with it. You can't convince them otherwise, even when National Survey on Drug Use and Health, Monitoring the Future, and the Colorado Public Health the last, oh, and the CDC, that was the other one, uh, that have come out and all said, yeah, there hasn't really been an increase in teenage use 
in the uh, legalized states. They're going to they're gonna try, though. They're just going to keep saying it until you believe it. But she also brings out one of the old standard, oh, it's just like a warm blanket every time this one comes out. Sheila Polk says, quote, Today, their industry pumps out marijuana edibles with potency levels as high as 60%. Compare that to the marijuana of the 1970s with potency levels of less than 1%. <laughs> There's so much wrong with that. First of all, it's kind of like saying, Compare this shot of Bacardi 151 to this O'Doul's near beer. The O'Doul's near beer only has 0.5% alcohol and the shot has 150 or 70. What would be 150 proof is 75 point. <laughs> I got to do the math in my head. 75 and a half percent alcohol. You're comparing apples and oranges. Comparing an edible to a joint from the 70s is apples and oranges. And it ignores the fact that first. They had edibles in the 70s, too. And they were made exactly the same way. And they could be made into very potent uh, edibles back then, too. It also ignores the fact that the marijuana potency, this claim of marijuana potency being less than 1%, means that this woman really thinks people in the 70s were smoking hemp. She really thinks that we were burning draft cards, burning our bras, protesting the Vietnam War, on hemp. It just ain't true. This stat that you get from these drug warriors all the time refers often to the potency monitoring project and their data comes from police agencies who left their seized marijuana in hot, dry lockers for long periods of time, which of course degrades the potency of the THC. Also in their seizures, they were mixing in all sorts of ditch weed, all sorts of feral hemp and testing just every bit of it, including, you know, sticks and stems and seeds. And they were coming up with less than 1%. There were strains back in the day, folks. There's Acapulco Gold, Maui Wowie, Panama Red, all sorts of great marijuana, really good stuff. Now, I will not deny that marijuana has gotten better overall in general. Absolutely. We got flour now that's producing at 24 to 30% THC. But that does in no way reflect the fact that the people in back in the day that were smoking pot didn't also get their hands on some pretty potent stuff. And let's not forget that hash also existed back in the day. And people were smoking that as well. This is the, the time-honored, well-worn, overused marijuana potency argument. We call it, it's not your father's Woodstock weed. As if the weed back then was any dramatic, it was very dramatically different. Now I will talk to some of the older folks sometimes and they will say, Oh yeah, you smoke pot today and a puff or two of it gets you high. Back in the day, you had to smoke half a joint to a joint of it to get you high, but you still ended up getting high. This is one of the things I think where the comparison, you know, uh, uh, treat marijuana like alcohol does us some harm because when you're drinking alcohol, you go from this pleasant buzz to this warm drunk to this uncontrollable blotto sloshed, you know, shit faced stage, right? So at the different levels of continuing to use it, you get increasingly impaired, dysfunctional and disgusting. 
Marijuana doesn't have that same thing. With marijuana, you smoke it and you may get a little relaxed. And then you smoke some more and you may get a little lifted. And you smoke some more and you may get some high. And then you smoke some more and you may get baked. And then you smoke some more and you might get couch locked. But nowhere in there are you puking on people's shoes or starting fights or being a real problem for society. So this idea that, oh, they not your father's Woodstock weed. They smoked this weak weed back in the day. But yeah, but they would smoke it like a whole joint of it to get to this place called high. Today, we smoke a bowl or half a bowl of it to get to this place called high. The high is no different. Whether you're smoking 4% weed, 8% weed, 16% weed, or 32% weed, or taking a 90% dab, you're trying to get to the same place, which is high. And the high is not a different high. It's the same exact high. Just like you can get puke drunk on 18 cans of beer, or you can get puke drunk on six shots of whiskey, or you can get puke drunk on a bottle and a half of wine, you still up, end up at the same place, puke drunk. So this idea that higher potency marijuana is somehow some sort of different drug is just ludicrous. All right, stay tuned. We got part two of this radical rant on the Arizona arguments against marijuana legalization when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. We do have John McAfee. He's running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president. What makes uh, someone like you want to take the reins of this? We're so far behind. It's frightening. And in a cyber war, we can't hack into the Chinese. Back in 1979, they started building cyber defense systems. We didn't even think about it until 20 years ago. I've seen no candidates and certainly no one within government capable of dealing with this issue. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. The Russ Belfield Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. 
must wage what I call total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. And didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. All right, welcome back. Time for part two of our look at the arguments against marijuana legalization initiatives that are starting to pop up at Secretary of State's offices and should appear on your November 2016 ballots if you're in California, Arizona, Massachusetts, Maine, or Nevada. These arguments in particular come from the Arizona Secretary of State's office. We're just kind of going through some of their bullet points. And we return to Sheila Polk. She's the Yavapai County Attorney and the chair of Matt Force and the vice chair of Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy. And one of her points as to why you should vote against legalization is that, oh, they're not really locking people up for weed. Everything, everybody in Arizona is cool with weed. There's no problems with weed. She says, quote, a person cannot be incarcerated for marijuana possession or use until a third conviction, with a few exceptions. End quote. Yeah, this is another classic argument we get, which is the we don't really lock people up for weed argument. I love this argument. We don't really lock people up for weed. It's, there's not really people in jail for weed. That's not really happening. There's another guy in here. Let's see if I can find him. Is uh, a little bit farther down the uh, the list. Uh, the disaster guy. Okay, traffic death guy. Yes. Uh, where is that? Doggone it. Way down there. But it has to do with, oh, here we go. Paul Cavelli, the executive director of Bridges Network Recovery Center. So it's another one of these rehab guys, right? Sheila Polk is referring to, in, in, in part of her argument, she talks about how Arizona is one of the leading treatment, not incarceration states. Translation there is drug courts and forced rehab for marijuana smokers, right? People caught with weed, drug court, forced rehab. And Paul Cavelli says it as plainly as any of them. He says, quote, Half of all U.S. prison inmates are there for violent crimes. The rest is mostly in for property crime like burglary and drunk or drugged driving. Only 15 to 20 percent are in for drug crimes and almost all of those in prison for trafficking. Only about 1 percent are solely in for possession. And there's always other circumstances. Most of them pleaded down from a more serious charge or were caught with so much they were obviously selling it. And only about 5% of this already tiny number involved marijuana. The rest were possessing hard drugs. No one gets busted and jailed for merely smoking a joint. Okay, so let's tear this apart. First of all, this is uh, I've heard it referred to in other ways. This guy does a good job of trying to minimize it. Half of this, then 15% of that, and then 20, 30, and then only 5%. makes it seem really small. Kevin Sabet used to say, oh, only 0.1% of inmates are in jail for marijuana, blah, blah, blah. There's numerous ways of saying it, but it always forgets one part of this equation. There are 2.3 million people in the U.S., incarceration system when you talk about federal and state prisons and jails so any small number of that is still a pretty big damn number if we go with kevin sabet's 0.1 right 0.1 percent okay so that's one out of a thousand so out of 2.3 million that's 2.3 thousand 
2,300 people, 2,300 people whose lives are wasting away for the mere possession of marijuana. And if we, if we figured the numbers for this guy in Arizona, we would still have 100, 200 people sitting in jail for possession. And this part of the argument where he says, oh, well, they, they, they've pled down from, they pleaded down from more serious crimes. They pleaded down and just got possession when they could have got so much more. Well, here's the problem with that argument. So many more of these things that they're pleading down from are merely the, 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 the circumstances of possessing the marijuana in the first place. Charges like conspiracy charges. Well, the conspiracy just had to do with getting the marijuana. They say, oh, we're going to charge you with this conspiracy, but you can plead down to marijuana possession. Well, the conspiracy was just thinking about getting the marijuana in the first place and planning how you're going to get the marijuana. There'll be charges of being too close to, a, you know, being in a school zone. There'll be additional charges you get because you were in possession of a firearm, exercising your Second Amendment rights. There'll be extra charges you can get because your kids were there. Now you got child endangerment, and now you're pleading down to just the uh, possession charge. So that's another bit of smoke and mirrors they do. Here's another bit of the smoke and mirrors with that. These stats that they're referring to don't refer to the people who were on probation or parole who then get dinged in a drug test and end up going back for their original crime. Like maybe you committed an assault, got in a fight, committed an assault, went to jail for the assault. You end up on probation. During your probation, you fail a P-test. When you go back for failing your probation, you're not back for possession of marijuana. You're back for assault. And so you don't show up for being in jail for the fact that marijuana is illegal. So that's another way they hide who's in there for marijuana. And then another part of this is it ignores the people that when they do get busted for the weed, it's not like the cop just sends them on their merry way with a ticket. They get arrested. It's not decrim in Arizona. It's arrest. It's hands behind your back, put cuffs on you, put you in the squad car, take you to the jail, and process you. At that point, you need to come up with bail. Now, if you're a poor person, you can't come up with the bail, and so you sit in jail until your arraignment, which can be a month away, two months away, how long, who knows. During that time, you're in jail. You can't go to work. You can't take care of your family. You lose your job. Most jobs don't like to keep you around when you're in jail and you don't know when you're going to get back. Those are the kind of figures that go unrecognized in this, oh, well, nobody's in jail for weed. Well, yeah, no, very few people are sitting in prison doing hard time from a conviction for solely marijuana possession. That is an absolute half-truth because it ignores the other half of the truth that people still get arrested for this and it's the arrest itself that messes with people's lives. Let's go back to some of the other arguments here. And there's so many of them. I've, I've got this huge bullet point list. Let's see. Uh, Lisa Keegan and Jamie uh, Jaime Molera, the former Arizona superintendents of public instruction, say legalizing an intoxicating substance for adults will mean more youth consumption, just as it has in Colorado and Washington, except as, like we told you, it hasn't gone up in Colorado and Washington. But here's, here's one that I, I really want to dig into. The former superintendents of public instruction say, every study on marijuana use and education shows students using marijuana are more likely to have lower education scores and outcomes and are far more likely to drop out. Uh, this is one of those obfuscations. 
This is one of those things where, yeah, you can take a survey of people that smoke pot and find out, guess what? They have lower incomes. They didn't go as far in school. They're less satisfied with their lives. Isn't it interesting what making someone a criminal can do to their life? Because how many of these people would have gone farther in school if they didn't lose a scholarship or financial aid from a weed bust? How many more of them would have done better in life if they could have applied for the jobs that didn't have marijuana drug testing or lose a good job that they had because of marijuana drug testing? How many people grew up in households where the household was broken up over an alleged marijuana crime, they end up with a single uh, parent household, end up with a lower socioeconomic bracket because marijuana was illegal. Who else do we got in here? Oh, oh, we, we got to love our friend Ed Gogek, MD. He's been a guest on the show. He wrote the book Debunking Marijuana, and he's a board-certified psychiatrist from Prescott, Arizona. And uh, this is the... Um, Ed, of course, he's on that uh, that Project Sam mailing list, obviously, because he wants to talk about, just like big tobacco, a legal marijuana industry would target teenagers. With both tobacco and marijuana, 90% of adult users start as teens. Okay, so this is the old big marijuana argument. This is the argument, oh my God, legal marijuana is going to go after your kids. Unlike illegal marijuana, which never sold to your kids, unlike illegal marijuana, which had... It's dealers in the hallways of your schools, out in the parking lot behind the shop class. Unlike the illegal marijuana whose dealers never checked ID. See that this, they talk about how this big marijuana industry is going to be preying on teenagers. And I think, you mean, how much worse could they prey on teenagers than the illegal market? The illegal market preys on teenagers by having them become the dealers and the couriers because they know they're juveniles and they don't get as seriously busted as an adult would for that same uh, activity. The illegal marijuana market is the one that employs the youth. The legal marijuana market requires you to be 21 and get an MED card in Colorado. And, and this idea that the legal marijuana industry is going to target teenagers who can't get into the stores to buy their products. They, they, they can't even get through the front door to go in and buy the products. They're targeting them somehow. And it flies in the, fat, in the face of the fact, the demographic fact that shows since 2002, there has been no increase in the number of monthly teenage users. In fact, a slight decrease, even after the increase in population, a slight decrease in teenage marijuana smokers. But there's been a tripling in the number of senior marijuana smokers, three times as many senior marijuana smokers. And that's not just the baby boom bubble making its way past the age of 50. It's also by rate. The rate has gone up among seniors. That's who big marijuana is marketing to. Do you think Whoopi Goldberg's menstrual cream products are being marketed to teenage kids? That's all the time we got for hour one, but we're going to be doing more of this debunking. This, uh, I got enough stuff in this Arizona list to go for the entire rest of the week. You might be hearing some more rants on this stuff. Stay tuned for hour two. Got all sorts of interesting stories coming your way. Fatal K2 overdose, near fatal K2 overdose in Washington State where real weed is legal. What's up with that? That and uh, financial news from Arkansas and Arizona and plenty more. 
For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Bellville Show. The Russ Bellville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tope. I inhale. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tope on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Thank you, tokers and tokets and non-token lovers of liberty. Radical Russ back here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, for hour two, Toker Talk Radio. I was just reading over the chat rooms. I need to get my head in the right space. Give me just a second here. Oh, much better. Yeah, we needed that. Today's uh, today's bud was grown by TJ's Organic Gardens. It is a hybrid variety, TJ's Chocolate Kush, with uh, 17.8% THC and less than 0.1 CBD. An uplifted, euphoric, and happy bud brought to you by TJ's Organic Gardens. And... Um, yeah. By the way, if you're out there listening and you're a, a grower, you're a dispensary, and you want me smoking your bud on air and telling people how it made me feel, we can arrange that. Just get a hold of me. I'm Radical Russ everywhere. Find me on Gmail, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. But I had, to take a, I had to take a puff because there was a little dust up. There was a, there was a little tiff uh, in the uh, chat room. We got a chat room here at CannabisRadio.com, and it's mostly populated by people named John. In fact, anybody named John gets into the chat room absolutely free. 
of course, everybody gets in the chat room absolutely free. But if you're named John, you can join absolutely free. Sometimes it's like uh, it's like this the uh, uh, the census from. Uh, it feels like the census from the uh, Buckaroo Banzai movie. You know, John Yaya's, John Smallberries, <laughs> John Big Booty, Big Booty. But anyway, uh, I get off the track. Uh, in the first hour, I was talking about how there was this huge energy footprint, you know, from indoor marijuana growing and how that's a problem. And we need to solve that. And one of the Johns in the chat room said, whenever someone brings that up, I ask about the environmental footprint of golf courses. And another John took that to be a repudiation of my argument about the indoor marijuana grows. I didn't see it that way. Here's the way I see it. Okay. Like it's kind of like, you know, when we talk about whether or not you can call someone pothead, it's like, yeah, uh, you and I, we can call each other potheads, but the mainstream better not call us potheads. (laughs) Right. So, uh, here's the, uh, here's my take on it. When we're talking, when we're talking out public with the main, with the mainstream public, the mainstream public goes, Oh my God, marijuana growing takes up so much water and California is in a drought. My instinct is to go, yeah, but look at almonds. And then when they say, oh my God, marijuana growing takes up so much power. There's an instinct to go, yeah, but look at golf courses and how much environmental footprint they take, right? That's not to say that we shouldn't, between ourselves, start to go, hey, you know what? We ought to reduce our water use and our environmental footprint and our energy use. You can have both feelings, right? You can have the feeling of, hey, don't pick on us because we're marijuana before you start you know, p- pointing out the speck in our eye with respect to water and, and power. You got to look at the log in your own eye <laughs> on water and power. So I understand that. You can feel that and also feel that we ought to reduce our power and our water consumption. So it's not, I I didn't see it as a contradictory or an attack or anything. I saw it as kind of an adjunct, kind of a, it goes kind of along the same lines. Yes, we need to be responsible in looking at how we use our water and electricity, but we shouldn't be the only ones. (laughs) The whole, everybody else got to be taking a look at what they're doing too, especially if they want to come down harder on us than they want to come down on any of these other other industries. I understand both sides. I want to thank the Johns for having that little discussion because it got me to bring this up. Anyway, stay tuned. When we come back for break, we're going to talk about the near-fatal K2 overdose in legal Washington state. What's up with that? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God. It's refreshing. We have 
people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of, of many of those things, and, and find ourselves in a, a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextend.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why did I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Getting close to nine after the hour, and I gotta, I gotta put on my curmudgeon hat for a second. Tell you kids to get off my lawn and pull up your pants because this Pokemon Go stuff. <laughs> like, I don't even, I can't even. A couple of stories on this Pokemon Go thing, real quick. Out of K2 News, right here in uh, the Portland, Oregon area, out of Forest Grove, which is just a bit west of where I'm at right now, a man accused of breaking into a shed last week left a telling note. The break-in was reported at a Forest Grove storage shed last week. Police tell K2 News the suspect left behind a note on a whiteboard saying, I broke in for the Pokemon. People are breaking into people's garages, storage sheds, to chase after electronic phantoms. <laughs> okay, so now we got uh, breaking and entering for Pokemon. What else do we got? Oh, yes, this one, a tweet coming from Como News. Uh, a 26-year-old or 28-year-old driver was cited for causing a collision because he admitted to being distracted by the Pokemon Go app. This is the first distracted driving collision reported to the Washington State Patrol since the mobile app launched earlier this month. <sighs> yeah, so nobody suffered any injuries, unfortunately. Uh, fortunately, I mean. <laughs> Not unfortunately, I mean fortunately. Uh, the driver was headed eastbound, traveling the posted speed limit when he collided into the rear of a newer Chevy sedan. The female driver of the Chevy had stopped in the roadway and was attempting to make a left turn when her car was hit. And uh, the driver of the Honda admitted to being distracted by focusing on his Pokemon Go app. <laughs> All right, so already Pokemon Go is more harmful than marijuana. There's been some deaths from this, hasn't there? I saw a video also of a, a not a riot, but a, a stampede in, uh, in Central Park in New York. A whole bunch of people running to this particular spot in Central Park where a really rare Pokemon was. This is just uh, chaotic and crazy. And there's, an, there's a new movie out, too, called Nerve, 
that's supposedly like this. It's like Pokemon Go on steroids where the kids are entrapped into this world of playing these dangerous games in real life and so forth. Uh, man, it's just getting crazy out there. I, I like I like the meme that's going around, though, that says the original Pokemon Go was a bag of mushrooms. You know, when we wanted to get outside and look at things that weren't there, we did it the old-fashioned way. We took a big old bag of shrooms. <laughs> I guess. Whatever floats your boat. But I'm telling you, this Pokemon Go thing going to cause some problems. Anyway, let's get back to the marijuana story because I, I found that on Como News because Como News up in Washington State had this story coming out of Shelton, Washington, where a young man – uh, how old is he here? Say how old. Uh, how old is this kid? Shelton Mann. But it doesn't say how old he is. I wish I knew. But it says uh, J.J. Tomlinson spent four days in a medically induced coma after smoking K2. He says, quote, I just remember taking a puff and then black and then waking up in a hospital. And apparently three days had gone by. End quote. So this is July 7th. He nearly died. Uh, his mom said, quote, the doctor said that if my family wasn't there, that he would have died on my living room floor. One hit and he would have died, end quote. Now, K2 and Spice are banned in Washington State, but new versions keep showing up because I've told this story before. You have to ban a particular chemical. These synthetic cannabinoids, as they are, are chemicals that are just tweaked a little bit from one version to the next. And so it's just a matter of another tweak. And it's an almost infinite amount of tweaks you can make to come up with a different chemical. But each time you do, you're coming up with something that's untested and something that's far more powerful than the phytocannabinoids we might get to smoke or eat sometimes. The aunt, uh, Sarah, says, quote, he almost died. We've got to ban it altogether. But, but it is banned altogether. It's completely banned. Now, what they're saying is we need to ban all the lookalike drugs, all the anything that could possibly be like K2. And you, and you could try that. You could try to come up with some wide open ended language that allows them to ban anything that mimics the effect of marijuana. And you, you could try. It's not going to have any different effect. The Washington Poison Control Center, there's been 17 cases. And they say, and here's the telling quote from the news story, folks. Here's the gist. Underline this and mark it with your yellow highlighter. A real concern is even though this is a legal marijuana state, the synthetic cannabis doesn't show up in your analysis. So it's a dangerous alternative for those who get tested for their work. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you ban the synthetic cannabinoids altogether. It doesn't matter how much more you police them. You're attacking the wrong side of the problem. You're attacking the supply side instead of attacking the demand side. Why in the hell would there be a demand for synthetic cannabis in a state where regular cannabis is legal? Where regular herbal cannabis that has never killed anyone in 7,000 years is legal. Why would someone smoke an untested synthetic version that can kill them in one hit? Because there's a drug test. And this is why I have been railing against drug testing ever since I started this show. It's the whole reason I have this show. I'd still be in a posh cubicle job with a big salary and a nice health care package, with no worries in the world, living in legal Oregon and just enjoying myself, had it not been for a drug test that told me that I wasn't fit for the work I was doing, 
that my, the powers of my brain were nothing compared to the metabolites of cannabis in my armpit hair. And when these people want to say that drug testing is for public safety, we drug test to make sure that there's public safety, that people aren't high at work, that people aren't high, you know, flying the plane or conducting the train. They ignore the public harms that are caused when people try to avoid getting busted for drug testing. They ignore the public harm in the alternative drugs that people take. And not just the synthetic pot. People will switch to using dextromethorphan. You know, get some syrup in them. They'll go to cocaine or methamphetamine. They'll try heroin. There's, there's other drugs out there. Mushrooms, LSD that don't show up in people's systems. All sorts of drugs that if you take them and you give yourself 48 hours to flush out will never show up on a drug test. All sorts of legal or semi-legal, pseudo-legal alphabet soup of psychedelics out there, 25-MBOIM or whatever the hell they are. You're never going to ban all these things. And so long as people want to take drugs and you detect the one most often that is the least harmful, it goes without saying that any other alternative they pick, including alcohol, to avoid that drug test positive is going to be worse for them than if they had just allowed to use the natural cannabis. Drug testing causes public harm in this respect by incentivizing the use of more harmful substances. The other way drug testing causes public harm is in reducing the productivity, the output, the income level, the educational attainment that people otherwise would get had they not been busted by a drug test. It all has to do with what uh, socioeconomic background you're in and what industry you're in, of course. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs... Nobody really gave a shit whether they were smoking pot or dropping acid. They're middle-class white guys in the IT industry on the West Coast. Nobody really cares. But who, was the, who could have been the next Bill Gates or Steve Jobs who might have grown up a black kid in Atlanta in an underprivileged neighborhood? Who might have been the next Steve Gates or Bill Jobs that grew up as, uh, on a native reservation? Who might have been the next Bill Gates or Steve Jobs that was in the Midwest and lost a scholarship or an opportunity because of a drug test? These public harms are immeasurable because we can't possibly know how much further people might have gone had the drug test not interfered with their life. But that is a public harm nonetheless. So I, I just hate these drug testing stories. <laughs> And I hate these stories of, of K2 use, especially when we're seeing it in a legal state. And this is just a show that legalization by itself is not going to go far enough. I was saying this last week on one of the rants when, when the story of the Brooklyn pot zombies, <laughs> there's 33 pot zombies in Brooklyn. Ah, run. Because they were all on K2 and they got a bad batch that made him kind of lethargic. And I said, because I, I got a lot of people saying, well, man, we just need to legalize pot. That'll end that. No, it won't. People aren't smoking K2 because they can't get a hold of some pot. They're, they're smoking the K2 because they want to beat the drug test. Period. You know where they sell a lot of K2? 
They sell a lot of K2 at the convenience stores just outside of army bases. And the head shops just outside of army bases. They sell a lot of this stuff to athletes. Like to use it. Remember the story of Robert Kimdichi? Robert Kimdichi, that star player, I think he was LSU player, that jumped out of a, like a second floor window because he was high on K2, allegedly. So athletes and military people, people who are drug tested. Oh, and of course, people on pro- parole and probation. People on parole and probation. And it's just odd to me that even in the legal states, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Alaska, if you're on parole or probation, they can keep you off the marijuana. They can keep drug testing you for marijuana in a legal state. It all goes to show you that it's always something. Yeah, that's true, Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. It's always something. Well, it's 420 here in the Pacific time zone. We got to take a break with some more of this TJ's chocolate kush. We hope you have time and resources for an effective safety meeting. We'll be right back after this. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on cannabisradio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. 
This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 23 after the hour here, live from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. So excited about the upcoming election. It's been fun watching the uh, Republican National Convention. I, uh, I just don't know what country they live in, though. They kept talking about a country where everybody's terrified and every, the world's coming to an end. <laughs> Nobody fears us anymore. Our military is shit. <laughs> what, what, what country is this they're talking about? I love those. But some of my favorite stuff at the convention was the, oh, we need to rebuild our military. Our military is decimated. Our military is weak. Folks, do you know who, by number of combat planes, has the number one air force in the world? Well, it's the United States. We have the number one air force in the world, about 6,000 combat planes. You know who has the number two air force in the world? The United States Army has yeah, about 5,500 combat planes. You know who has the number three Air Force in the world? The U.S. Navy and Marines with about four, four and a half thousand combat aircraft. <laughs> yeah, the United States has the top three Air Forces in the world. And if you do a pie chart of the top 10 Air Forces... We're half the pie. We have as much Air Force as the next seven in the top ten combined. And all but two of them are our allies. (laughs) It's like, what is this America that's like so weak that has the three top Air Forces in the world? And as far as military expenditure, just overall military expenditure, the United States spends more on our military than the next 11 countries combined. And again, only two of those, Russia and China, are not our allies. <laughs> we, where, where is this America? We need to make our military stronger than that? Now, look, I'm not, uh, I'm not a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination. I see the need for military and war when necessary. But couldn't be just be twice as strong as everyone else? <laughs> Wouldn't that be enough? Uh, you know, could we sell off a few planes and maybe build a school here and there? <laughs> maybe. Hell, sell off an aircraft carrier and take care of our veterans. <laughs> let's, let's take care of the guys who fought the last few wars before we start the next one. Oh, my God. So it just, it floors me watching that convention. Uh, the other thing that... Um, was fun to watch in the convention was uh, Melania Trump's speech. Well, first of all, Donald Trump's entrance, like, you know, WWE, <laughs> got the fog, you know, and he enters. Okay, so first, before Donald comes up, they were playing um, a, C- uh, no, a Van Morrison song, Brown Eyed Girl, right? Melania Trump, she's brown eyes, right? <gasps> Makes me wonder if they got that licensed from Van Morrison, but then again, he might be so drunk he didn't even notice. Um, but then... Trump comes in to Queens, we are the champions. And I thought, first of all, if you're, uh, you're going to have Donald Trump come into a Queen song, shouldn't it be, I'm going slightly mad? <laughs> shouldn't it be something like that? And then Ian Carmel on Twitter, he had the great response to that. He's like, sure, Donald, come in to the song written by a bisexual immigrant. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, good point, Ian. Very good point. So it's been fun watching this Republican convention because there's not going to be a mention of weed. I can't watch it to find when they're going to talk about weed at any time. That's not going to happen. So it was at least entertaining. Uh, Let me get back to uh, some marijuana facts and figures here because, as we all know, we've got five states going for marijuana legalization. We got four going for medical. We got Florida, Missouri, Arkansas. Montana. Oh, and North Dakota. So we got five that'd be going for medical. And you might be saying, wait a minute, doesn't Montana already have medical? Yes, but I'm going to call Montana a medical marijuana vote because they've got, they got two initiatives that could likely make the ballot. One of them expands their medical marijuana back to having dispensaries and, and pretty, you know, open, uh, you know, patient registry and so on, you know, returns them back to where they were before their legislature screwed them over. It's funny to me because living in the Pacific Northwest, I have to hear all these people in Washington and Colorado complaining about how legalization has destroyed medical marijuana. Oh, it's destroyed medical. In Oregon, we can only grow 48 plants out in the country. In Washington, we can only have triple what anybody else can have. Meanwhile, Montana, they literally, they're the ones that really got screwed. Montana went from having 30,000 patient registry to under 13,000. They went from having over 3,000 providers to over under 300. <laughs> they got a new law that restricts them to three patients per caregiver. And any doctor that recommends more than 25 times a year gets audited by the medical board. They're the ones that got screwed over. Let's give some attention to Montana, okay? So Montana's got this initiative that could return them, you know, basically undo all that stuff return them back to being a legit Western medical marijuana state with dispensaries and everything. But they got another initiative that could prohibit marijuana altogether. They could completely get rid of medical marijuana. So Montana, if, if the first one wins and the second one fails, could have go back to having a great medical marijuana program. If the first one fails and the second one wins, could go to having no medical marijuana program. If both fail, they would stay where they are, which is this kind of, you know, tough, you know, three patient limited medical marijuana program. If both win, it comes down to which one gets more votes. So, I mean, Montana is going to be a place to look at. And in all these places, they need to raise money. Now, a lion's share of the marijuana money is going to go to California. And I've, I've been worried (laughs) Like, how much money do we have to go around when we're talking about 10 different states where there could be significant marijuana reform on the ballot and still a Hail Mary chance in Michigan? So are there going to be enough philanthropic donors to cover all the bases, especially in some of these littler states like in Arkansas or Montana or North Dakota, where just what is relatively a small donation for a place like California, could do a ton of good in a place like North Dakota. Well, we have some preliminary numbers here. There's a story coming out of Arkansas Online from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette where um, Arkansans for Compassionate Care, the Medical Marijuana Committee, raised a $12,500 donation from New Approach Pack. Now, New Approach Pack is mostly the estate of the late Peter Lewis, the guy who gave billion, you know, millions and millions to marijuana legalization and medical all across the country. So they, they got a $12,500 donation. That means they raised, an, and they also raised another about 
four thousand dollars. Uh, they got over $16,000 last month, and over the long haul for their whole uh, campaign so far, they've raised $142,000. So this is great. Uh, New Approach Pack, that doubles their commitment so far uh, to $25,000 that they've committed to Arkansas. Now, compare that, New Approach Pack, compare their contributions of, what is it now, $750,000 in California? But again, Arkansas, it's a lot cheaper to get things done in Arkansas. We've also got some numbers uh, coming out of Arizona. And uh, this is from an op-ed written by an opponent. And it's talking about the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol. That's a MPP offshoot. And they've raised $2.2 million in Arizona. And the woman who writes this op-ed, her name is uh, Lori Roberts. I'll say she identifies, I'll say I believe she identifies as female. (laughs) You got to be careful now, right? I can't just say, oh, her name's Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E. She must be female. Can't make that assumption anymore, can we? Uh, Anyway, (laughs) getting off the track. She opens by saying the grassroots campaign to legalize weed in Arizona is more grass than roots. And the whole point here is to try to say it's it's these big out-of-state money billionaires that are coming in to legalize weed and they're just doing it to make money. She uh, she goes on here to say that two um, percent uh, of the two point two million dollars comes from people and businesses that appear to have no connection to the marijuana industry. No one from the construction or tourism business has contributed, not so much as a single bed and breakfast. But marijuana policy project is there. They've sunk in eight hundred and forty thousand dollars of the two point two million, and then they point out how a lot of these other dispensaries. Or a lot of these other contributors in the five and six figure range are dispensaries, 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 hydroponics supply, hydroponics supply, dispensary, dispensary, dispensary. And some other heavy hitters, attorneys and managers and consultants from uh, the industry. And so the point she tries to make here, it's a scare piece to try to say, see, it's, it's all out of state interest trying to make big money. This isn't what Arizonans really want. And then she points out that the opposition group is Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policies. They've raised $638,000. And she points out how all of these people are grassroots people. They're the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and the microchip people and U-Haul and blah, blah, blah. Also notes that the Arizona Wine and Spirit Wholesalers Association is against it. Gee, I wonder why. But this is a specious argument to make. Almost every ballot initiative that intends to change the status quo has to do do so through raising out-of-state money. If you look at any issue out there, very rarely is it all grassroots. And yes, dispensaries are contributing to this. And yes, marijuana policy is contributing to this because yes, they want to see a legal marijuana industry they can take part in in which they pay taxes to the state and create jobs, an economic opportunity for hundreds, if not thousands of people in the state of Arizona. This, this is a, you know, trying to scare people with the out of state money thing only works if the people aren't voting for that. Right. I mean, 
this seems to be a popular thing that the people of Arizona want. When you take polls and you ask them, majorities keep coming back saying they want to see legalization. What difference does it make? Who's paying for that and why? From my perspective, if I'm a pot smoker in the state of Arizona, my main concern is not ending up in pink underwear in Sheriff Joe's jail. So, what could happen so that that is an impossibility? Why? One of two things. Number one, I never smoke or possess pot in Arizona. So let's talk about a realistic solution. Number two, make it legal. Now, do I care that Green Tidings Dispensary or whoever the hell then gets a recreational pot license and makes a whole bunch of money? Am I going to be sitting there going, doggone it, a bunch of people made money in the pot market. I'd rather go to jail again. (laughs) Why do I care who's getting rich? What difference does it make to me? I'm not into legalizing marijuana for the business angle. I'm into it for the civil rights angle. I'm into it for the liberty angle of not having police interrupt my day because of my choice of herbal remedy. But nice try. Thanks for the numbers. We'll be right back with some more numbers for New Zealand when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Russ Belville inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belville Show. It's the NPR of POT. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. 
The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street A or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Winding things up here for the last segment of the day. Remember when the DEA said they were going to give us a decision on marijuana rescheduling? Remember? I said by the end of June, they'd tell us whether or not they were going to remove marijuana from Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substances Act and put it down... Perhaps in Schedule 2, maybe Schedule 3, who knows. And I'm looking at my calendar, and um, I kind of noticed that it's after July, or it's after June 30th. And um, I was on vacation, but I don't recall them saying anything. And turns out that uh, I didn't miss anything. The DEA hasn't made a decision. Uh, the DEA had a self-imposed deadline of, quote, the first half of 2016, but... Um, that ended on June 30th. So uh, lately, the DEA says uh, the DEA is currently in the process of evaluating a number of other citizen petitions regarding the scheduling of marijuana and is, quote, not bound by any date end quote, to announce its determination. That's their public affairs decision. Uh, division says that they say they will come up with a decision <laughs> sometime before the end of the year. So uh, this also um, comes from the, the senators, uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand and some other legislators, including Colorado's Jared Polis, Representative Jared Polis, asked the DEA to take immediate action to remove cannabis and tetrahydrocannabinols from Schedule 1. Now, there's a lot of controversy over what this would mean. For one... On the, on the good side, moving from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 gives the federal government's mark of approval that marijuana, cannabis, cannabinols have medical value. That's the only difference between a Schedule 1 and a Schedule 2 drug, by the way. Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 drugs are incredibly illegal, but a Schedule 2 drug has medical use. See, the, the, the categories for Schedule 1 are that it has a high potential for abuse. That's the same for Schedule 2. It, has, uh, it is dangerous to use. That's the same for Schedule 2. But Schedule 1 says it has no accepted medical use. Schedule 2 says it does. Schedule 1 is LSD, heroin, and marijuana. Schedule 2 is cocaine, methamphetamine, and Oxycontin. They're all dangerous drugs, according to the government, but the latter three have medical use. So the good side of this, if you, you put marijuana in Schedule 2, it is now a prescribable drug in all 50 states. Not often. It's not like your doctor is writing out a ton of scripts for cocaine or methamphetamine, although Adderall is methamphetamine, desoxin is methamphetamine. They do, they do get prescribed. It also means that Schedule 2 might open up some research into marijuana 
into whole plant marijuana. But there's some problems about this. It is possible and quite easy for the government to move THC, CBD, THCA, THCV, all these different alphabet soup of cannabinoids. Very easy to move the cannabinoids from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. They can't really move whole plant cannabis that way. It's not a clearly defined thing. And you're not going to see doctors or pharmacists want to get involved with the prescription of just herb. It's really something that belongs off of the Controlled Substances Act and into the world of nutraceuticals and and supplements than the world of medicine and scheduling. And there's some fear that moving it to Schedule 2 could cause ripples in the existing states, especially the more liberal Western medical marijuana states that allow for the use of whole plant marijuana and for people to be able to buy it and grow it themselves, when suddenly that's a Schedule 2 substance, now there are rules that have to be followed as far as how it's dispensed. There are, you have to be pharmacist and you have to have pharmaceutical controls. Marijuana goes from being just some plant that we're not paying attention to because it's completely illegal to being something like Oxycontin that we need to keep strict track of and have safes and lock it down. And, you know, we've done that a lot with marijuana, so it might not be too hard of a transition, but it's going to change a lot of how we view and a lot of how these state regulations work with respect to dispensaries. That's the fear. Now, it would be tough to oppose rescheduling to schedule two or schedule three, even though it would seem that when it comes to that, when it comes to that rescheduling, it's really just turning medical marijuana over to the pharmaceutical industry because the things that get prescribed and sold and paid for by insurance aren't going to be raw plants. They're going to be THC CBD pills, THC CBD sprays, THC CBD tinctures and so on. And that's going to make a lot of money for GW pharmaceuticals and whoever else comes up with these preparations. It's not surprising to me because it's something I've argued for years. For years, I've talked about the box Canyon theory and how if you continue to fight only for medical marijuana, your marijuana is going to become medical only. And that's the direction I see this going in a rescheduling world. If we reschedule to schedule two, I see medical marijuana becoming a pharmaceuticalized thing. And I see governments and the public increasingly go, well, wait, if you're really a medical marijuana patient, why won't you use the medical versions of marijuana that are, you know, strictly dosed and controlled and accurately measured for consistent dosage time after time after time, paid for by Obamacare, whatever insurance you might be on? It'll increasingly be a situation where people that want to use the natural herb are all lumped together in that recreational, habitual, doing it to get high category. The next fight for medical marijuana is going to be the fight for these patients to insist on whole plant medication. And increasingly, as marijuana becomes more pharmaceuticalized, the only place whole plant can go is the recreational market. That's the only place it's going to really belong. And people that want to use whole plant, it's not going to matter whether you're medical or recreational because you're all going to be in this. We're all going to be in the same market. 
Now, I would approve of maintaining medical cannabis registries, medical recommendations, so that people that want to use medical cannabis can do so tax-free. I disagree with the Adult Use of Marijuana Act putting a, a tax on all cannabis that even medical consumers have to use. I don't think medical use should be taxed. I do think getting your uh, tax-free certificate should uh, involve a little more than just saying you're using it for medical purposes. In an ideal world, there'd be such low taxes on marijuana, it wouldn't even matter uh, whether or not you're a medical user. We'd be down to 10 bucks an ounce, and you could get plenty even at that cost. That's a few years away, I'm afraid. So we will keep our eyes on the DEA here because uh, I don't, I really don't anticipate descheduling. I don't see them going that far that fast. I see it going to rescheduling. I see it going to schedule two. I see there being an upheaval in the whole medical marijuana world. And it won't be such an upheaval in the East Coast. These East Coast medical marijuana states that have already set, you know, no home grow and you have to get your stuff from a dispensary. That's just going to be a flick of a switch for them. To switch over from plant to pill, spray, inhaler, tincture, all of that. And, and the last three states, they don't even have to switch over. They're already, you know, New York, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, they're already no plant states. You can only get preparations. They don't even have to switch over. They just have to wait for the next legalized Schedule II pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical to come through and, and stock it on their shelves. It's us out here in the West that are going to be screaming and hollering about whole plant. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens, and um, we'll we'll keep you <laughs> we'll keep you posted. Let's go to one other story, <laughs> taking us way across the ocean to the other side of the world, over to New Zealand, where stuff.co.nz NZ for my American listeners uh, has a story up about how the government could make one hundred fifty million dollars a year from taxing cannabis. This comes from a informal treasury report uh, to the government of New Zealand. It would ease pressure on New Zealand's courts and generate money for the government. These are obtained under the official information act. And it was an internal treasury forum. The documents reveal the government spends about 400 million annually enforcing cannabis prohibition. Whereas decriminalization would generate 150 million annually from taxing cannabis. So it's not just that you'd make $150 million, you'd also save $400 million in prohibition enforcement. Although, I, I don't think that's entirely fair. Once you legalize cannabis, there are now regulations to enforce for it, and that will cause some cost, but it's going to be far less than the $400 million. And the... Uh, the report also says it would ease pressure on the justice sector. See, New Zealand has a problem kind of like we have in America, where white folks and black folks in America smoke pot at about the same rates. But, of course, the black folks are four times more likely to get busted for it. Well, in, in New Zealand, their uh, population is white and Maori, I think you pronounce it Maori, uh, Pacific Island uh, race, Maori. And Maori make up 14.5% of the population in New Zealand, about one out of seven. But they receive 43% of the convictions for cannabis use. 
So they're getting busted at, what is that, three times the rate? 14 times three is, yeah, <laughs> ding, ding, near nailed it. Uh, three times the rate of their representation in the population. And um, in their discussions, in this informal treasury memo here in New Zealand, they refer to Denmark, Germany, Portugal, parts of Australia, and the United States that have decriminalized cannabis and, quote, don't seem to have increased drug use, end quote. So um, good news for New Zealand there. And let's hope they start to see the application of marijuana legalization, cannabis legalization there as something that could be beneficial for them on a financial basis. However, I do have to keep warning us, keep warning the listeners, keep warning the reformers that we've got to be careful in how we present the, the monetary savings or the monetary benefit of legalization. A lot of this benefit in taxing cannabis comes from taxing cannabis by price. When they say, you know, it's going to be a 10% tax or 15% tax. Well, the problem with that is 10% of a $300 ounce is 30 bucks. 10% of a $10 ounce is a buck. It then sets up this incentive for the government to want to keep the price of marijuana high so they keep getting in that tax revenue. Because their only other alternative is to create more marijuana smokers smoking more often to keep that tax revenue going in. And that that can't be a government message. Smoke more pot. <laughs> Although, who knows, might make us stop shooting each other so much. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll close up shop here from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals, or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. 
Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on canvasradio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. Five minutes till the top of the hour. And we're just winding things up here on Cannabis Radio. want to thank everybody for joining us and uh, letting you know we got a few events coming up in August. First weekend of August, I'll be here in Portland for the Indo Expo, and we'll have the full 20 by 30 Cannabis Radio booth set up, too. We're going to be huge, folks. So if you can make it to Indo Expo in Portland... Uh, you will definitely uh, be impressed. Then make sure you check out our uh, Boise Hemp Fest coverage coming the second weekend of August. I just booked the uh, the rental car for that trip, and uh, maybe I'll be carpooling with a few other activists there. We'll see. Then we've got uh, the third weekend of August, of course, the 25th annual Seattle Hemp Fest I'll be speaking all three days, and I just booked the uh, train ride to Seattle for that one. Then uh, in September, there's a couple of gigs going on in September. See, I click ahead and find those. Uh, the first week of September is Anchorage Weed Week, or Alaska Weed Week, and I may be up there in Anchorage all week long emceeing the event. We're still working on the negotiation for that. That's right after Labor Day. And then the following weekend, the weekend of the 17th and 18th, is the Boston Freedom Rally. And I just booked the flight to Boston on JetBlue, so we'll be out there. And uh, I don't know what year of the Freedom Rally it is, 29, 28, something like that. But it's out there on the Boston Common, two days, and just a wonderful group of East Coast uh, marijuana legalizers. And there'll be plenty more events coming up in uh, October and November. We'll keep posted on all that. Also, the RadicalRust.com site is still down, uh, still working on the transfer and getting new servers and designers and all that kind of stuff. But once it's back up, we'll put the full travel schedule and event schedule up there for you as well. Plus, we got the new order of pins coming for any of you... Uh, former 420 Radio VIPs who are now Russ Belville Show VIPs and those who have emailed me previously that you didn't get your pins they're on the way as soon as they make it here they're on their way to you that's all the time we got for today join us tomorrow back with more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community for everyone here at CannabisRadio.com I'm Radical Russ and until next time take care of each other tokers This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.